guys. Welcome back to Grace Unscripted. Today I'm joined by Joe Tucker. Joe is the Executive Director of South Street Ministries here in Akron. Really enjoyed our time together talking about everything South Street is doing for the people of our city. You know, frankly, the lives Joe sees every day, they're very different from the ones that I see in the bubble of Wadsworth. And in many ways, it was, it was kind of a reality check. I really liked and admired Joe. I want to interact with people more the way he does. And so I think what we talk about, it's, it's going to challenge you. It's also going to educate you. And, and maybe this would be a thing that you'd look into uh, to supporting South Street Ministries. Now, Joe also, <laughs> we had a special guest with us as well. Joe's three-year-old son, James, was hanging out with us. And so you're going to hear him in the background a little bit. He did a great job, but you're going to hear him in his, uh, his dinosaur train and maybe munching on his goldfish a little bit. But hey, we were happy that he could be in here with us. And you see what Joe's life looks like every day in real life, right? And so, uh, so thanks for tuning in again. Welcome to Grace Unscripted. Joe, how you doing, man? Uh, ben, I'm doing really good today. I've actually had a great day, which is most of the time, but uh, yeah, it's been a good day. Well, I appreciate you being here. I am with uh, with Joe. Joe Tucker, you're the executive director of South Street Ministries, and um, I'd heard of you guys. I, I kind of knew the... I didn't know any of the details about what you guys were mm-hmm. doing, but I'd heard you heard your guys' name and stuff, and so I spent a lot of time this week kind of digging into what South Street Ministries really is and what you guys do, and I was blown away. I was like, man, this is going to be a fun conversation because yeah. you guys are doing some epic stuff. Yeah, it's a good, it's a great ministry in South Akron and Summit Lake. It's been around for about 20 years, and... Uh, a broad ministry, so it's yeah, uh, it is broad, and, and I think we're places. gonna we're gonna look at that. I mean, it's a broad ministry. So, can you explain to the listeners what South Street Ministries is? I can, and I have my son with me. So, if you hear some strange sounds in the background, that's my kiddo. So, so Joe's old. Joe's three year old James has joined us. He's watching Dinosaur Train and eating snacks. Yep. So, South Street Ministries is a nonprofit in Summit Lake in South Akron. We were founded 20 years ago by Dwayne and Lisa Krabs, and really they, they moved into the Summit Lake neighborhood with this model of ministry we call CCD, which stands for Christian Community Development. So uh, one of the principles they have was relocation. So this idea that, you know, instead of to love their neighbors, they would you know, kind of choose and relocate to see who their neighbors would be, and that they would choose a place that was, you know, by many people, unchosen, or the folks that still lived in that neighborhood at the time, uh, 20 years ago, Summit Lake was the highest poverty, highest crime neighborhood in mm-hmm. Akron, um, a place a lot of folks felt they were stuck in. Uh, now, the perception and kind of the stigma of that neighborhood has significantly changed since then, as has the ministry, but uh, that's how South Street was founded. Presently, we're a, a broad collection of ministries in the South Akron and Summit Lake area, uh, ranging from some reentry ministries to some youth programming to uh, kind of a deep community engagement. Yeah. So it, when I was kind of looking into it, I, I'd heard the name Dwayne Crabb uh, several times. Um, so it, it looks like it was formed in 1997. Yes. It almost seemed to me like it kind of just organically came to be. Like they were living almost and they just saw like, hey, there's a draw for kids to our family almost where they just saw these kids around and were like, hey, what if we really were really intentional? Is that kind of how that went? Uh, kind of the opposite, actually. Oh, really? It, really, it started with a, you know, and, I mean – Ministry happens like that regardless. I yeah. mean, if you're a parent, I have, I have a three-year-old now, I'm bumping into other parents of you know, young yeah. families, and like you learn to minister from them. I think probably the main difference from, for Dwayne and Lisa was they were intentional with where they lived to move into a place 
where the so they specifically moved in. Yeah, they moved okay. in with the intention of being neighbors and gotcha. ministers. That makes sense. So it wasn't just hey, we're here. What ministries will grow? But uh, we're going to choose to be here and see what God does by this proximity, by this locality of what we're doing. Okay. And about half our staff still live in Summer Lake in South Africa, myself included. That's cool. Um, so it makes uh, the boundaries of ministry pretty gray. Yeah, oh, I'm sure it does. <laughs> and you care for your neighborhood. I mean, uh, uh, you, you mentioned hearing about South Street from Grace, and Grace has been a great supporter and partner of South Street. And one of the things I often talk about with Grace groups or any, any friends I have from the suburbs is like you've chosen where you live mm-hmm. for a reason. You, know, you care about the school systems there. You care about the... The, you know, the quality of you know, stores there. Well, we care about those things too. We just get to kind of advocate and yeah. care about them with our neighbors as well. So if there's you know, trash in the ground, that's trash on my street as well as it's trash on my neighbor's street. Yeah. So um, that process of picking it up isn't just a, a service project that's um, one and done. Then I go back to my clean neighborhood. Um, I mean, that's a selfish sanctification where I can say, hey, I want my neighborhood clean just as much as, much as my neighbor does. Let's do it together. Yeah. So that notion of unlikely partners, um, and you know, Dwayne would co- coin this phrase, taking a shared risk to renew our community for the sake of Christ was where that mission came from. Yeah, yeah so let me read that because I wrote that down. This is the, the, South Street Min- the South Street Ministry mission. It says, unlikely partners taking shared risks to renew our community for Christ's sake. And so I want to break that down and talk through what that looks like with you. Um, the first being unlikely partners and, and bringing together folks from different backgrounds and classes and walks to work together for a common community good. So yeah. I, if you could speak into that, like what type of common community good are you, are you guys striving for? I mean, really any community good you could name. So uh, a pretty easy example would be with our after school program, which we've renamed Rich Kids. Uh, we got some reading initiatives. And, I mean, if you were to do a poll across the country, you're going to get different opinions on a lot of stuff. Yeah, do you like the president? Do you not like the president? Do you support this issue? Do you not support this issue? But, you know, is it good to help a kid learn to read? Yeah, that, that's, that's a unanimous uni- good. Everyone's going to say, yeah, we should do that. That's a good thing. You know, same thing if, if you're playing basketball and the goal is to get the ball in the hoop. There's a bunch of different varieties and methodologies of doing that, but the goal is clear. So we will let a non-Christian, a person of a different faith, come to program and help a kid read, because that's a valuable, yeah. good thing. That makes like sense when Jesus too. talks about good news, there's that, I think the center of that is the gospel, but you know, good news, by nature of what the word is, radiates out to news that is good. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the deepest of that is faith and salvation in Christ, but uh, I've, I've come to understand just the, the outpouring of that to hit so many different levels. So now again, we maintain who we are as a faith-based organization. So yeah. um, I'm not going to let someone you know, present something or a teaching that's contrary to what we believe and care for and the, and the depths of why we do those things. But um, our bike shop program has actually started with this atheist who you know, would help some kids fix a bike. And he was concerned that he wouldn't be able to partner with Pastor Krabs. And you know, one of the jokes Dwayne made two decades ago, well, is there a Christian way of fixing a bike versus an atheist way of fixing a bike? And no. you know, there's not. You know, so as long as folks don't mind us, you know, staying true to who we are as people of faith, we can partner with other folks to That's do cool. community good initiatives, yeah. farmers markets, reading initiatives, um, healthy eating initiatives. I mean, there's plenty of community good you can do in the name of Christ. That's good news. Yeah. And you see that with Jesus, open the eyes of the blind, freedom mm-hmm. from prisoners. Those are inherently good things yeah. and they radiate towards the gospel or the, I would say the gospel probably radiates into those areas. Yeah. So. That's cool. When I was looking through this stuff this week, I was on the website for a while, and um, I've been reading through Genesis, and one of the things that it reminded me right away is I was like, 
That's Genesis 1. That yeah. God says to, to Adam, like, hey, go be my imager, my representative, and go subdue the earth. And it's like, I was reading that. I was like, oh, that's what they're doing. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, and so it says also you're, you're going to take shared risks. Everyone um, at South Street is going to put some skin in the game and risk finances, safety, everything to see lives and community restored. I was wondering if you would talk a little bit about, like, what does that mean when you're talking about risks for you guys? What are you, what are you doing with that? That's a great question. Um, you know, I, I actually have a board meeting tomorrow, and you know, South Street's a nonprofit. Nonprofits have board of directors, and I, I remind my board all the time. You know, risk taking is inherent in our mission, and you know, m- most of the time you want to mitigate your risks. You want to make sure that you know, if kids are in a van, they're all buckled up, and that that is a good thing. We don't take yeah. foolish, stupid risks in that regard. But would you hire a van driver that has a felony record? Would you hire uh, a person that you know comes from a criminal background or you know is coming out of the recovery world? Um, oftentimes we, we love those narratives and those testimonies, but seeing you know, people from those communities sometimes move into positions of power, we may default to saying, well, that's too risky. We don't want to really let the, you know, the, the amazing grace of Jesus be that amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, would we risk a shared leadership? Would we risk stepping into uncharted territories? Um, and, and part of that would also go to the, you know, the neighbors and partners we'd work with. Um, I don't want to... Yeah, I don't want to go to my neighbor and simply say, hey, we have this, we have this food, this meal for you. It's, it's all yours. There's no cost on your end. It, it, it's simply free. Every once in a while, we might do something like that to kind of present the freedom you know, of, of God's gift. But that's not a sustainable model of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes, if we, if we want to see something transformed, we recognize, like, we have to do this together. South Street can't do this for you. We, have to, you know, we need your involvement, your participation, your skin in the game just as much as we – you need us organizationally yeah. in whatever facet that may look like. Okay. So it could be something as simple as, hey, if you're a recovery group using our space, you know, we expect you to clean up after, up after yourselves. Yeah. To something as complex as, uh, hey, if we're going to move forward with a community engagement to see a park renovated or to see a, a, a market move into fruition, and everyone needs to pony up some funds to make this thing a reality. Yeah. Now, do you feel like, I mean, because when you're 21, you don't have a family. Risk is like, eh, whatever. Exactly, but all of a sudden you yeah. throw some kids into it. Like I have three girls. You, you got a family boys, now. Yeah. You know, it's like you hear the term risk now and you're like you come at it through a different lens. So like do you feel like there's a risk um, as someone that's on staff with, with South Street and you have a family now of like, hey, we're going to do this certain lifestyle. Is that a risk or is that just like this is just is what it is? It's a little bit of both. More often than not to me it just is what it is. Mm. You know, I, my wife dropped off my son today earlier on, and uh, he was been with me since about 12 o'clock, and he's been at the front porch, one of our community sites, and the front porch is a drop-in center mm-hmm. as well as a community cafe. So it's not uncommon for someone who got out of prison to come in and use the phone and use the restroom for someone who may have some mental illness to stop in and just kind of want a place of sobriety and safety and, and love. So I see what – I mean, so – Yeah, so I mean – it, It's a life, but like yeah, there but, is a little bit – of a risk in that. I mean, yeah, there's, there's you're coming in into, let's just say this, you're probably coming into contact with somebody who like me lives in the suburbs, probably does not contact on a daily basis. And mm-hmm. maybe from my lens, it's like, Oh, that's a little riskier yeah. than hanging well, out at the Wadsworth public library. A lot of folks perceive it that way. And statistically, maybe they have a point. Um, maybe, maybe I'd, I'd, I'd hazard that most of the places we go, you're going to find some inherent risk. And, uh, I'm always struck by that, that notion. Cause as groups come down, oh, some sentiments will be, oh, we can never do that, or I, I don't understand that. And 
I recognize the realities of that, but um, consistently in my own life and faith, you know, we never see a, a, a spiritual biblical call towards like safety or comfort or security. Those things are found in God, but we're never called to them explicitly as we, you know. Oh, it's not in the Bible. Yeah, it's you, not to be found. You won't find it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and again, on the flip side, um, you learn how to like lean into risk. At least I've learned that way. I mean, uh, I mean, I tell a lot of my volunteers like, yeah, learn how to bark a little bit. You need to learn mm-hmm. how to stand your ground. You just you pick up some you know, mannerisms or code switching or, or, you know, way of presenting yourself that says, Hey, I, I can carry myself with confidence and strength as well. Yeah. Um, so, uh, a decade ago, you know, when South street was really kind of percolating and growing some, we saw a lot of you know young men come to the ministry because, uh, I think, again, we could get into a lot of ramifications of this, but there was kind of this inherent masculinity of like stepping towards some of those like places of like uncertainty or unknowingness. And, and again, even partnering with them. I mean, oftentimes, probably the the biggest answer I would give of why it doesn't feel as risky is uh, it's inherent. You know, if someone walks into the front porch and comes from a background of, you know, incarceration, I have two or three guys on staff that know that world inherently well, and, and they're on my team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, more so than I, I might come and say, hey, how are you doing today? And they might say, hey, Joe, let me set you straight on this guy. Let yeah. me let me correct your thinking. Yeah. Um, so having eyes to see and ears to hear those things that you learn and get trained in. So, yeah, more often than not, I don't perceive a risk of it. Uh, my wife and I are still in the midst of really praying and discerning what, what does that mean for our family. We had a young yeah. family, and that's something that's going to unfold over the next three, four, five years for um, our reality. But I know as we've talked through our own value system, like proximity to, to the poor is something I just see intrinsic to my life. Mm-hmm. If I lose that proximity, I... I feel lesser of my faith. Yeah. So, so one of the things you mentioned earlier, um, re- like relocating um, and, and moving into the neighborhood. That's what Dwayne and Lisa did. Like very very intentionally they moved into this specific neighborhood um to seek the good of that place with their neighbors and that's something you and your family have done so you speak into that like what does that look like so i mentioned ccda this christian community development association and they've really thought through this terminology because um i want to talk about some of the the value of it but also some of the distractions it could present yeah because essentially this idea of relocation it takes someone like a duane and lisa and we get into demographics here. They were, they were you know, a middle-class white couple that moved into a predominantly African-American, low-income neighborhood. and um, Which not a lot of people are doing. Yeah, not a lot of people are doing that. And um, yeah, some of the, the terminology they would use around that would be like incarnating in that neighborhood. And, um, it's the Jesus method. Yeah, the you Jesus method. And, and again, the limitation to that would be like Dwayne and Lisa aren't Jesus. Like Jesus was and is already actively involved in that place before they got there. Mm-hmm. There were churches in that neighborhood before they got here. It's not like they were the great white hope that you know brought this salvation to, yeah. to this dark uh, – that's a false narrative. Um, but the narrative that they did move into the neighborhood is a very, very uncommon one. Um, at least it was 20 years ago. Again, uh, I don't think Akron's having some of the same gentrification issues you'll see on the coast. Uh, there you do see a lot of people moving into you know, down-and-out neighborhoods and – you know 
pushing out folks that are of, of low income, which presents a different set of justice yeah. issues. But um, some of those values of like incarnating Christ where you're at still matter. And I think one of the things I often tell groups and volunteers is like one of the privileges I have is I, for the most part, get to choose where I want to live. And I get to choose who my neighbors are. And consequentially, I can choose who I'm called to love. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's a choice a lot of us make very passively. Uh, CCDA would talk about people who have relocated, people who have returned. Often leaders from a neighborhood like Summit Lake will grow up there. And then they'll leave because that's, you know, why would you stay there? Um, but they'll return to that place that they have a heart for it. Perry Clark represents that. You know, Perry Clark is a guy who grew up in Summit Lake, went to prison, started Tri Ministries, Truly Reaching You. And he's come back to Summit Lake in a lot of very real ways to do ministry there. Uh, then you have remainers. There's folks that have lived in Summit Lake for other lives and have stuck it out and ministered there and stayed consistent there. So that this idea of relocation really should just be location, and that location matters. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you read the Bible, like part of studying it is like realizing that oh, Samaria is different than Judea, or mm-hmm. you know what it means to be in. You know, what was the city of Philippi like, or what was the city of Rome like for those books? And you know, similarly. You know, various neighborhoods have different feels and cultures and atmospheres that, you know, affect the hows of what's in it and realities of ministry that we do in those places. So um, for my wife and I, we live in South Akron. Uh, it's kind of one of the other sites of some so- South Street Ministries. And uh, we've been there for about six years. And, yeah, it's for me still something I want to be intentional with. And I would say at the end of the day, this idea of incarnational ministry can be applied anywhere from Summit Lake to Hudson to, you know, Bath yeah, to – Kenmore. Beverly Hills. Yep, exactly. But, you know, are you being intentional with the incarnation in those places? And uh, I don't think it necessarily means that, you know, you have to take the same way, shape, and form of every single household that's in that place. Yeah. So I that makes sense. always challenge myself to kind of, what does it mean to live into that for myself yeah. and my family in those regards? That's cool. Um, and one of the other values, reconciliation. Now, yeah. I thought this was interesting. Um, so you list this as making things right between ourselves and God, neighbors, black, white, rich, poor, male and female. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about that. I thought one of the first things this requires is to admit that maybe some of these things aren't yeah. right. And so I just wondered if you could speak into that a little bit. Like, how do you see that where you live? Like, what what are you looking at and be like, man, this isn't right. Like, we want to be part of God's restoring plan for mm. this. Uh, I mean, so as far as the location goes, I mean, you look at Summit Lake, um, Every time I get a group of older volunteers or an older group that comes into the front porch, inevitably there's some you know, 75, 85-year-old individual who will say, oh, I used to live in Summit Lake, or I graduated from Garfield, and I lived in Kenmore. And, you know, but you know, neighborhoods change over time. You know, a highway cut it in half. There was no investment for decades. Um, and you know, that, that wasn't just something that happened in a vacuum that happened across our country. You saw just kind of the racialization of areas. You saw redlining. You saw just a lot of issues that... Um, again, we could look at it as historical or sociological, but these things are spiritual and theological as well. And mm-hmm. I think part of just what you said, owning that some of these things are issues, uh, we have to grow into the fact that, hey, they are issues and the Bible addresses them and we can lean into what does the reconciliation look like for those areas. For us, I love where it starts there, reconciling to God first, you know, re- recognizing that no matter where you are, who you are, that path to being made right with God is paramount. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, or I guess because of that and in that, it would be a better way of saying it, we then step into you know, reconciling with each other, finding that there's distinctions or disparities or or even isms or things between us that we need to then name 
call into account and begin to change. Uh, and I would, I would go as far as to say that that really needs to change on a lot of levels too. That it's not just a, uh, Hey, we, we sung Kumbaya and we're, we're, we're friends now, although having dinner together, you know, stepping into friendship and relationship with people who are different than yourself is a valuable thing, but, um, there's no, but, but, and, and you then begin to see some of the things that need to change as well. Man, you know, our board should look a little bit different or mm-hmm. how we give our money might need to flow a little bit differently. And there are things about, um, reconciliation that I'm still unpacking and learning. So it, uh, it's a lifelong journey in that yeah. regard. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then redistribution. That was the other R. So the, the third value, um, sharing the abundance with those who have less and recognizing the worth of the other. I know redistribution always gets a little bit of heat because uh, it lends itself to kind of this like socialism yeah. view. Everybody's everything. like, socialism. Yeah, that's, that's always, We're not the, Russia that's always the red flag. But yeah. you know, this isn't a, a top-down governmental approach to, to sharing. This is a faith-based you know, Christian calling that we have to share with what we have. And, I mean, that's, that's biblical. You see that throughout yeah, that's, the scriptures. It's basically like, oh, we just actually read the Bible literally. Yeah. Where he said, like, hey, if someone doesn't have something, maybe give it to them if yeah. you've got It's not as though the government's calling me to do this, but God is. Yeah. And uh, you know, for me, I always try and I, – I, I work with a lot of visionaries. So I've, I've grown into a pragmatist. And for me, part of my uh, pragmatic approach of redistribution is I think about stuff. You know, if I have a, a dresser that I need to get rid of, do I have someone that I need to – that I could give it to? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as a, when I was young, when I was in my 20s, you know, that's how I got – most of my stuff, yeah. some aunt, uncle, friend, you know, family friend gave me a desk, a dresser, a chair, a whatever, because they had more than they needed or they were changing their house. And, you know, I didn't have to buy a dresser when I was 21. I just got one. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if, if you don't have those connections, if you're you know, low income and, and part of poverty isn't just you know, being low income, it's being low resourced. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, if you're low resource and no one has an extra dresser, then. You know, there it is. But, you know, part of redistribution is as simple as, you know, do I know folks that I could share with? Um, not because the government's making me to, but, you know, do I just know folks that I could gl- uh, gladly and freely give to? Because uh, that's what God's calling me to. Like, I know for me, you know, winter's coming up. I love gloves and hats, and I got some nice gloves and hats. Yeah. And uh, people need gloves and hats. Mm-hmm. So, we get donations at South Street. We'll, we'll take gloves and hats. We always need those. <laughs> um, and usually I have enough that I can give away. But, you know, every once in a while someone needs gloves and I got my, my nice pair on. Yeah. And am I willing to get rid of them? What, what, what's the worst that's going to happen? I have to buy another pair of gloves, which I like doing anyways. Yeah. Um, but, you know, do I hold the stuff I have loosely? Mm. And I think, that's, a, that's a cool thought. Man. I think that, you know, because we will read. I remember growing up at the chapel and we would re- read the parable of the rich young ruler. And we'd always be like, oh, well, yeah. I think when I was a kid, I was taught it means you need to be willing to give away everything you have. And we, we kind of jumped to the end of the lesson without paying the tuition of that lesson. You know, the, the tuition is by giving away the things you have, you learn to be willing to give away the things you have. So I, I think we should practice a selflessness. We need to That's practice cool. a, a practice redistribution frees us from being selfish. So when I can give away my North Face hat yeah. to some homeless guy that eh, he – Maybe he'll sell it. Maybe he's going to hawk it. You know, I, I'm, I'm discerning. I yeah. don't give away all my clothes all the time. Yeah. Uh, I, I know how to say no and set up boundaries, but I also know how to give. Yeah. That's cool. Just I like that. That loosely. Yeah. Hold on yeah. to stuff loosely.
All right. Well, I want to talk a little bit about how South Street lives this out. Yeah. It's one thing to say like, hey, these are our, uh, this is our mission. This is yeah. our values. This is what we care about. It's another thing to be like, oh, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And when I spent a couple hours reading about what you guys are doing, I was like, oh, this is epic stuff. Like, yeah. This is really cool. Like this is what is needed. And so I wanted to talk through some of that. I think the big one that I, I had actually heard of, um, and most people, if they've heard of South Street, probably have some type of awareness of is the front porch. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about that for a little bit. So pr- front porch, maybe just I'll try to walk through and see how you can educate us on this. Front porch has a cafe. Is that like just breakfast, lunch cafe? Yeah. Right now we're open uh, Tuesday through Friday from 7 to 2. Okay. What's the vision behind that? Oh, man. It's, it's come a long way. Yeah. So uh, we actually just did some rebranding there. So we're going to launch a new website. I think by the time this podcast launched. Yeah, because we'll this a, might not air for a while. So we'll yeah. have a front porch website, which is cool. Uh, but really, the front porch has kind of grown beyond South Street in a lot of regards. So when we opened up the building, it was 2008, and really the heart was to create jobs. You know, it was 2008, the recession was hit, happening, no one was working. Um, so we opened up this cafe to create jobs, and we did. And we helped folks step into employment, uh, except for a few folks that stuck around that weren't as good of workers. And um, at that time, we had a grill outside. So we ended that year with a grill outside and some knuckleheads on staff, and <laughs> it, was, it was bad news. So we prayed because we, yeah. we didn't know what else to do. And uh, God really answered those prayers. We had a couple of guys that were able to step in with some culinary skills. We had a donation to buy some equipment. And really the, kind of this, this vision of a, of a community space began to grow and grow. And uh, things happened. I mean, one of, the, one of the dry clubs, a sober club in Akron, called the, it was called the, uh, the Airy Club, shut down. Um, their bingo game went funny. We ended up inheriting like 12 recovery groups. Wow. So real quickly, we went from this kind of you know, hole-in-the-wall cafe to like this hub for recovery. Mm-hmm. We had some motorcycle, some Christian motorcycle groups that would come in once a night and have their Bible studies and you know, the parking lot would be full of motorcycles. Um, and then Summit County at the time was doing some reentry initiatives, people coming out of prison. And they started this uh, peer-to-peer support group, you know, ex-offenders helping ex-offenders kind of learn the ropes of stepping back into society. So, you know, over the years, we became this hub for recovery, this hub for reentry. Um, I got married to a doctor. That's my, my wife's profession. And yeah. um, she works with some people that founded Faithful Servants, and they yeah. saw our building and said, this is going to be a health clinic. And I said, yeah. this space? And they made it happen real quick. So, Because the front porch isn't just a cafe. Yeah, it's more than There's a cafe. Because exactly. I had just, like, when I thought of front porch, I had been, um, I guess I had known what it was, and I just thought, oh, this is just a cafe. Yeah. And then I looked into it. I'm like, oh, this isn't a cafe. Like, there's a ton. So you talked about there's now, a, like, a community health with the faithful servants. Uh-huh. So what is that? Like, Wednesday nights from, what is it, 5 to 8? There's, like, a free urgent care for yeah. the uninsured. Free urgent care for the uninsured every Wednesday night. Does your wife work with that? She does. She's okay. there most Wednesdays. Most Wednesdays. Okay. Home with the boys most Wednesday nights. And then you kind of had alluded to the fact that there's a lot of groups there. So it's, like, this multi-purpose room that functions for group meetings and exercise, health programs, like, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So it sounds like... When you first started, like the, herb, the, the front porch, it was just a cafe. Am I reading that right? Yeah. Initially, it was just a cafe. We inherited a bunch of recovery groups and uh, quickly became like this sober hub. Yeah. Then, uh, really, I mean, we, we were always located next door to the Summit County Jail. So, I mean, we're a stone's throw away. Don't do it. That's a felony. But, I mean, it's, I mean, I'm not even that good of a ball player. And I could, I could pitch a stone yeah. into the jail. Um, so, we found like, we would at the time Dwayne was doing inreach. You know, Dwayne would do Bible studies in the prison, so we'd always get men and uh, mostly men at the time. Well, there's a lot more females incarcerated presently, 
um, that would come in and say, hey, I, I worked with Jake Dwayne in prison. I'm, I'm coming mm-hmm. out now. Help me out. So we'd step into a bunch of referrals just helping men and women get settled. And again, when people come out of prison, it could range from, I just need a, to call my grandmother in Ravenna. Yeah. She's going to come and get me to, I got no place to go. Yeah, I need a job. I have uh, no money. What am I going to do? Yeah. Uh, so we we did a couple times. We, we've done housing. We don't do housing presently. But we've seen just a lot of ministry come from that proximity to the Summit County Jail. And you guys are doing, with the front porch, you guys are kind of going all out now on the second floor. Uh, the second it, floor is done. Oh, so it's renovated. Yeah, yeah. It's so, done. Like it looks said, like our, it's, it's our website hopping. needs updated, but yeah. our second floor is done. So you got a lot going on there. Yeah, so the second floor is actually, um, uh, you have to, I'll have to remember which one's which, but um, one of the things I love about Dwayne is Dwayne's always kind of spun out of South Street. You know, a lot of his vision was, you know, Summit Lake, then South Akron, then the front porch. And he's just one of those guys. A lot of pastors are like this. You know, they're visionary. They always want to start stuff. And uh, at some point we said, Dwayne, man, like we, we have a geographic focus. We got to just stay in our lane. Mm-hmm. Like that's what South Street's here for. Um, and uh, there's a lot of folks that rally around him. Uh, Bryson Davis runs this thing called the Akron Leadership Foundation. So they're, they use the second floor for training, for classes, for kind of, entrepreneurial experiments to, to advance God's kingdom by working with city partners. And um, I'm excited for what's to come. So That's the second cool. floor gets that usage. And then uh, we as a staff use it pretty much for board meetings and other things and rent it out to other groups that want to use it. So it uh, it's a vibrant place. I know that yeah. much. That's cool. I want to go through some of the other programs too, because this really gave me a picture of, of who you guys are and what you guys are trying to do. Um, so you guys have an after school program with grade school kids, Monday through Thursday, 3 to 5 p.m., it's like homework help and Bible study, snacks, stuff like that. Yeah. Is that free? It is a free program. Wow. We actually have just – it's we, we've we changed it since since uh, this year. So it's now 2.30 to 5.30. 2.30. And we rebranded it as Rich Kids. Rich Kids. So one of the things that we uh, – kind of going back to that relocation idea, you know, we – I don't want to just kind of paint Summit Lake as this place where kids are inherently poor. Yeah. You know, so the rich kids of our program, our, our kids are rich, man. They got some richness to them. Um, there's an inherent richness to them by both their, you know, the image of God being on them to even their own personality and personhood. Um, and then it's an enrichment program. We're doing, you know, more than just reading and uh, academics, but just life enrichment, faith enrichment for them. So I was, once we stumbled upon that name, Rich Kids, I I really liked it. So yeah. I give Jocelyn Grant the credit for that one. And How many kids you got in that? Uh 25 to 30 on a busy day. Uh, we're looking to grow the, up to about 45 in the next year. So, so can like people have to apply? Like, how does that work? Uh, right now we're open enrollment. So if you're huh. in, the, you're listening if and, you're in the area and you want to join yeah. rich kids, please, please do so. That's cool. Um, so that's, that's all school year, but in the summer you guys aren't messing around cause you got like summer camp for the kids too. First yeah. through five. That sounds like it almost just picks up where the, the rich kids stuff leaves yeah, off because that ends much. with the school year. Pretty much the same program. The summer's a little bit more enjoyable just because yeah. there's, there's no homework. Yeah, you can still do some enrichment programs outside, and everything else. And, and our summer camp's like eight weeks long. It's not just one week of, yeah. uh, of camp. It's an eight-week enrichment program over the summer for kiddos. And, and that's free too? Yeah. Wow. So I get to do the Bible blocks and the math blocks. That's so cool, man. It's a, you don't find a, a whole time. lot of free – Free daycare. I don't want to call it daycare. You don't find a lot of free programs like that. That's a really neat thing that you're offering. That. Yeah, it's good. It's, it serves serves our kids and communities. And, and again, it engages the families. Yeah. I mean, I think out of that, I've gotten a chance to know some of the parents. And it's fun for me because you know, I started South Street about eight years ago. So eight years ago, I was younger than all the parents. And yeah. I was kind of this you know 24-year-old kid that was 
good-willed and you know good-natured and now yeah. I'm a you know 34 year old dad of two so I it's funny how much I'm more you know connected to the parents yeah, you're these right days there with and the them. kiddos these days yeah yeah that's cool Okay, so the bike shop. So I, I'd heard about the bike shop. Um, so it, it's open like kind of spring, summer, Monday, Wednesday nights. I thought this was so cool. I had Jesse Dolan, um, was, who I've had oh, on the yeah, podcast, was Jesse. talking about. He was like, "Yeah, kids come, they work at the bike shop, and then they get a bike to take home. Like yeah. that's that's kind of what they earn by working." Exactly. Um, and the bike shop's cool for you because that's how you got introduced to uh, to South Street Ministries. Yes, yeah, so my my uh, my family grew up with the Crabs family. We went to the chapel together and. We, uh, my Boy Scout troop volunteered at their house, did some renovations, and then we, uh, I ended up doing my Eagle Scout project at the bike shop. Then, you know, as God would have it, seven, eight years later, I'm back there volunteering, yeah. uh, doing bike shop. And so you're volunteering while you were teaching at Akron? Am I saying that right? Yeah. So I, I studied mathematics in college, and then I went to Philadelphia for a year, did this year of missions there, and loved that lifestyle. Came back to Akron, and, uh, was kind of committed to this lifestyle of simplicity and uh, didn't have any debt, praise the Lord. So I was able to volunteer a lot of my life and and uh, just was teaching math part-time at Akron as an adjunct, which doesn't pay particularly well, <laughs> and uh, volunteering a bunch at South Street and First Glance and, you know, just you name it. So how do you make the decision, I got a master's degree from Akron, I, I've, I got a degree in like mathematics, economics. When are you like, hey, I'm going to do South Street full-time? How does that come to be? Because uh, you're not you're not teaching anymore. You're full, you're full on. I, yeah, I mean, executive director of South Street. No, yeah, I've been. I was program director then executive director. Um, I remember in grad school, my professors. I mean, they'd get to work at like seven in the morning, and they would do math to like seven p.m. Oh, and, and they and they loved staggering. it. Staggering. Yeah, no, no one. I mean, <laughs> you got to be crazy. Math to has that, that. Stigma, That's insane. But, but they loved it. I mean, yeah. and I like I loved math too. But like, I didn't love math like that. Like that, yeah. yeah. Like I wasn't, but you know what? Like every night throughout college, I was doing ministry. Yeah. So I mean, really, I I had a calling in my life for God that was just clear as day. And um, probably the best advice my dad ever gave me was my dad was gave me a lot of good advice, but what, one was just get a real degree. Yeah. You know, don't get a youth ministry undergrad. No offense, youth ministry undergrads, but uh, I mean, before two thousand eight, that was an okay idea. Then when the recession hit, like that was a degree in Starbucks, yeah. you know, and uh, it didn't diminish the kingdom work and value that you could do regardless of the degree. But uh, I had a practical thing that I could use for, you know, kind of bivocational lifestyle and ministry for, for a few years before I was able to step on staff full time. So when I was offered a job to be you know, program director, it, it was just the, the next logical right yeah. thing for what God was calling me towards. That's cool. All right, I want to talk a little bit about, about your job. What's the best part of what you do? I'm never bored. You're never bored? No, I'm never bored. So uh, I get to see kind of all different stripes and sides of South Street. Cool. Uh, we have three different sites, maybe four different sites, depending on the day. And um, I get to see how our Rich Kids program is going with the kiddos and step in and, and, and be present with them. I'm not required to be there every single day anymore like I was back in the day, so I have some uh, freedom to step into our reentry program and see just the men and women that are you know, restoring and re- re- redirecting their lives. Um, 
I get to visit and you know, collaborate with groups like Faithful Servants or Leadership Foundation that have visions for the city, um, meet with church groups and kind of talk through you know, what engagement or volunteerism or theology around urban areas looks like. So, yeah, I mean, I just, just the diversity of what I get to do, um, I, I always feel like I'm sharp. That's cool. Just because it's not like I'm doing the same curriculum yeah. and lesson, lesson every single day or – you know, I hate my job sitting behind some computer. Although I, I, I do send a lot of emails and do a lot of grant writing, but I get to just see a broad array of stuff. And that's not without stressors. I got. Yeah, what's know, the hardest part of your job? Uh, or the stressors. I, Let's say that. What's the, yeah. what, are the, what are the stressors? Uh, so some of the stressors around South Street would be kind of this inherent hardship of, of, of ministry. Mm-hmm. When you step into ministry, you're stepping next to some type of hardship. You know, someone's coming out of prison. Uh, there's something, something they've done wrong, something in their mind, something in the system that you have to be around and see and perceive and understand. And like that, that's heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if kids are at risk or low income or poor, you know, whatever word you want to use, you know, there's something again, whether it's a family hardship, a systemic hardship, but you're, you're around that you're next to that you absorb some of that. You feel some of those things. So there's that kind of inherent, like, this is tough. But then there's also this inherent, uh, you know, we got a team of 12 people. People see things differently. People have different opinions. Yeah. And I think probably the biggest shift I've made as a, as a leader has been, you know, five, six years ago, I was a people pleaser. I just wanted everyone to get along. And now I'm far more of a peacemaker where I have to you know, be a lot more assertive in the peacemaking yeah. than I was as yeah. a people pleaser years ago. Yeah, that makes sense to me. All right, let me ask this. How can our listeners support South Street Ministries? I mean, I always say yes to folks supporting financially. Um, we've been growing a lot, and really, really, 2018 was probably the toughest year fiscally we've had. We sustained, but it was a, it was a challenging year economically for us. It was the first year that we haven't grown under my leadership, mm-hmm. so I felt a certain way about that. Still praying that one through. <laughs> um, we do need volunteers. I mean, I, I wouldn't even say volunteers. I, I'd actually say we, we need sent people. So, you know, I love... Uh, I always would joke around about with churches because uh, when I was a kid at the chapel, we did mission trips all over the place. And then, you know, in 2008, kind of coming back to this year, but the recession hit, like we didn't do mission trips anymore. We, we all switched to local missions all of a sudden yeah. because <laughs> churches just didn't have the money, the money to send kids up. to Toronto. <laughs> and, and, and again, there's, there are some inherent flaws to that model of missions in the first place, but uh, I learned a lot from it. All right. Last question. I'll get you out of here on. I ask everybody that comes on this, this yeah. question. Why do you love Jesus? Oh, man. I mean, the first thought that comes to my mind is because he first loved me. Yeah. Uh, I'm, a, I'm actually going to answer your question differently. Um, I'm going to say why I get frustrated with Jesus. I think for me, as a director of an organization, I look at Jesus' life, you know, this grassroots community organizer who you know, brings 12 people from place to place and does miracles but never owns any property or any power and um, you know, gives his life to, to save and ransom ours. And it's, he's our model, but he's such a poor model for organizations and people who hold power. And I, I have to contend and wrestle with that all the time. It's, it's my present thought with, with Jesus right now is, you know, Jesus, your life was so different than mine. You, know, you were, you were oppressed. I got, you know, whatever privilege there is, I got it. Yeah. Uh, you were, you were downtrodden and I'm. I'm on the top of the food chain. So I I think for me, I love Jesus because he he consistently just challenges me to think through like, I'm not doing life the way you call me to yet. You know, so as I think about Jesus and 
Uh, and again, I, I, I live as a pragmatist. I live in the real world. I don't think I'm called to, you know, forsake, you know, actively forsake my family and you know, yeah. wander, wander around Akron <laughs> with a group of 12 guys for three years and then call it quits. Um, but I have the, the, the challenge of like, you know, Jesus says, you'll do greater things than these. Like, mm-hmm. what, what does that look like for my yeah. life? What does that look like for the folks I get to lead and work with and partner with? Um, so I love Jesus in that he doesn't, he doesn't make it easy for me. Yeah. Um, so the diversity of South Street keeps me sharp and the, the reality of Jesus keeps me grounded and, and humble. That's, that's for sure. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate your time, Joe. It was nice meeting you. Ben, Thanks for pleasure, popping in, brother. man. I hope that the listeners heard the heartbeat of, of South Street. It's a cool thing. Um, yeah. And uh, I appreciate your time. Now, this has been really, really fun. I always podcasts are cool because you people like me don't get to talk into microphones too often. So <laughs> that's cool. This well, is fun times. Well, thanks for being here, man. My pleasure, brother.